Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. Well, God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. If we're going to be people of the book as Jesus followers, what do you think that has been built on the structure of God's people? It is a constant remembrance of the past, learning, looking through the corridors of time and history, looking at the mistakes, the sinfulness, the brokenness, and our God is a God who redeems and restores. So we can't understand what needs to be restored and redeemed and reconciled unless we first look through the corridors of history, take ownership, confess walk in the fruits of repentance and see the kingdom of God become tangibly more visible to people. That was D.A. Horton to welcome you to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Q exists to help you stay curious, think well, and advance good into many of the problems facing our communities. And one problem we've addressed so often is that of our racial division, or maybe wounds might be a better way of saying it. And Gabe, you've hosted many talks at Q conferences from thought leaders who help us look at the issue from fresh angles. And you want to do that again today on the show. And so as we work through what we could talk about and who we could talk with that could help us think more deeply about that, to better understand a lot of different perspectives. Uh, D.A. Horton was the number one guy. He's somebody who's written eight books around topics that relate to the gospel, the church, how we can be Christian in this current age. Uh, but his most recent book is the one that, man, he just lit it up. It's a book called Intentional, Kingdom, Ethnicity, in a Divided World. And he really focuses on just how the gospel brings us together. But he uses some new terms, helps us think about why shouldn't we call ourselves white if we're white? Why shouldn't we call ourselves black if we're black? So, so I'm just going to tease you with that because I want you to dig in and hear what he has to say about our ethnicities, why they're important, but also why they shouldn't be lifted to idle status. Okay, before we get to your conversation with T.A. Horton, we have a special announcement regarding Q2020, the annual Q conference starting on April 22nd. With the coronavirus and the need to social distance and the fact that many facilities are closed, you might be wondering how we can hold the gathering. Well, because of the health concerns, the conference is changing format to be a virtual online event. It's now called the Q2020 Virtual Summit. Gabe, with what's happening in our culture that is beyond the COVID-19 virus, the need for us as Christians to gather, even virtually, is crucial. This is one of those years where there's a lot of tensions, right? People are thinking about the election. We're, we're dealing with these race conversations. We're thinking about gender and sexuality. We're dealing with the depression and mental health problems and suicide rates on a big rise. And a lot of people in the church aren't quite sure what to do, how to lead and we create this space so we can talk about it, so we can learn about it, so we can together forge ahead and learn from one another, but also realize you're not alone. There's a lot of other people dealing with these issues and trying to work through them and trying to be faithful to what the gospel says and what scripture says, and also relevant in this current world to speak to the real questions that people have. Well, at Q2020, you're going to have the opportunity to dig in in that way with breakouts, opportunities to interact with our presenters and interact with one another and while you and the team would have preferred a live face-to-face -face gathering like you've always done, 
it's great that with technology like it is, we can still gather and take on these issues and have these important conversations virtually. So I want to invite you to learn more at qideas.org slash 2020. So that's qideas.org slash 2020. You can see some of the topics that we have. There's more even coming every day. Our topics, our breakouts, our, um, but most important, come together with these 2,000 other people who care about these issues. You know, a third of the people who come to a Q conference are people that might come from a typical traditional church environment where they work on staff at a church or maybe are part of a ministry. But two-thirds are people like I know many of you are, people who aren't vocationally a part of working in a church or ministry environment. You're working in business. You're entrepreneurs. You're leading in the media space or arts and entertainment or education as teachers. This space is designed for you to come together and for you to have a place where you can be learning how to think well about the place you've been called and how to take that thinking into that place and actually create hope, opportunity, and and bring wisdom to all the major questions you're facing. That's why we call it Q. It stands for questions, and we want you to work together with others to kind of get the answers that you're going to need for the year ahead. So I invite you to join us. Well, now as we turn our attention to this conversation, I hope you'll just settle in and listen in as D.A. Horton helps educate me and educate us on how we can think well about the tensions we're facing around this question of race. Well, D.A., thank you so much for being a part of the Q podcast today and the conversation. It's been a long time of me seeing your writings and and watching what you've been doing. And so, I mean, I want to jump right in because you, for years now, just been helping the church at a broad level think well about this topic of ethnicity, of race, of how do we as churches become more multi-ethnic? What does that mean? And of course, that's been a big conversation happening for the last few years, and you've been right there in the middle of it. And you recently wrote this book, Intentional Kingdom, Ethnicity in a Divided World. And you put out this concept that was so cool to read about called ethnic conciliation. And so I think for our listeners, they're like, wait, I haven't heard that before. I've heard racial reconciliation Tell us a little bit of just the premise behind this particular project, and then I want to hear a little bit more about ethnic conciliation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, intentional is honestly (laughs) spelled the way that it is with the word tension right in the middle, and I think that's where the church is. We're at that intersection of wanting to be heavenly-minded in our pursuits, but at the same time, producers of earthly good, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. And those two nuances are inseparable to uh, kingdom citizens. And so as it relates to the issue of what I think is the thorn in the flesh of the American church, but also American culture, specifically just the issue of segregation, racism, slavery, all the residual effects from those nuances, then you have generations removed from it and people are considering the realities of, you know, are are we still engaged in this? Why is this still an issue? Shouldn't we be post-racial? There's color blindedness. Uh, I think all those expressions, man, of the culture at large have not just seeped into the church, but they've been embraced, they've been practiced, and I think it grieves the heart of our God. And so often we spend time talking about racial reconciliation, and so intentional frames the conversation, I think, a little bit more accurately to what it looks like for Jesus' followers to live on his mission on this side of eternity, specifically in America. And basically, my biggest qualm is with the term racial and reconciliation. And oversimplified, I think racial gives the idea that there's multiple races. Uh, As we look in the scriptures, first and foremost, uh, we don't see pseudoscience breakdown of these socially constructed ideologies of race. Uh, That's something that came through the process of colonization 
And the reality of that shows that scripture affirms people's ethnic heritage. It affirms the languages and the geographic spaces in which they live, move, and have their being. And so I think by uh, taking away the term racial, I think we're a little bit more biblically faithful and biologically faithful as well uh, to recognize that there's one human race. Equally, we all share the Imago Dei, men and women, people of various social classes and all the ethnic heritages. So I think we replace the term racial with ethnic. And then we come to the term conciliation. And I think if we just look at the word reconciliation, it means to be reconciled. I think the problem with that, specifically in America, even the American church, is that in mass, the nations, the ethnicities have never had a point of conciliation. And so we're basically like swinging into the wind, trying to mystically and mythically try to get back to what we once had when we never had it. Right. Conciliation, honestly, you know, is the, the reality of the removal of animosity, distrust and hostility. And again, uh, even within the people of God here in America, those nuances are still visible in, in dividing us today. So I think the biblical prescription for that is the work of conciliation in which Jesus has already accomplished positionally, and he's given us the task of manifesting it tangibly and, and practically. I love how rooted all this is in scripture and just taking this view where you're not just going to take the terms that are being thrown around right now, but you're going to go back and go, wait, what is the biblical way? to think about this. And in some ways, by doing that, you're creating a new imagination for people. And you're helping people understand that, look, there isn't something in the past we're going back to that this was all worked out. We, we've got to work through this. We're kind of pioneering some new spaces, looking at the damage that sin has done and evil has wrought within our relationships, within how we're structured as a society. And we got to just go to work on this. And I love that. I was a few weeks ago, we, we hosted Q, we, we hosted for about 400 people the movie Just Mercy, you know, that, that came out. And man, what a great story. Uh, and we've had Brian Stevenson at Q before, just an amazing hero. But afterwards, we were having this conversation. I talked to several people, and, and this is in Nashville, Tennessee. The thing that surprised me the most was how many people watched that movie that tells just kind of what happened in the Jim Crow South and all that was happening in our criminal justice system and how much people of color had no access to good lawyers and attorneys and, and just the injustice of it all. And talking to people afterwards, though, so many people that said, I've never heard that story before. I didn't realize that that's what was happening in the South. Or, or I was from the North, and we didn't talk about it much. And, man, now that I'm understanding this, now I understand. I mean, somebody said to me, now I understand why people are kneeling in the NFL games and not saying that our country's great for these reasons, because I didn't understand this history. So how much for, for you as a leader who's been engaging this? I mean, do you get tired of educating people about our history, about where this has come from? Is that is that an area where God has to work on you to, to help you keep coming back to it? Or is, is that just a gift that you have that, that man, I, I'm here to educate and help people better understand this deep history? Yeah, it's you know it's it's challenging um, because it's it's almost like two extremes on the same double-edged sword. And one in one space, I'm deeply excited to uh, engage the conversation, to mine out gems of history, to introduce and reintroduce to some remembrances of what has taken place in the past. But at the same time, I'll be honest, it is very exhausting. It is very challenging uh, to have to rehash the same questions. Uh, we live in a society where everybody wants to frame an answer with 140 characters, and life is just too complex for that. And so when I challenge people, hey, read this book, look at this article, look at this scholar, uh, you know, the pushback most of the time is from uh, people in the church. And it's like, well, you know, why can't you just give me a straight answer? I'm like, because life is not always fixated in a binary response. Like, there's so many complexities and nuances. And I think at the end of the day, 
the reality of educating people with history and contemporary rhythms, if we're going to be people of the book as Jesus followers, what do you think that has been built on the structure of God's people? It is a constant remembrance of the past, learning, looking through the corridors of time and history, looking at the mistakes, the sinfulness, the brokenness, and our God is a God who redeems and restores. So we can't understand what needs to be restored and redeemed and reconciled unless we first look through the corridors of history, take ownership, confess, walk in the fruits of repentance and see the kingdom of God become tangibly more visible to people. So yes, it's beautiful. It's encouraging at times. There's been, you know, only on the rarest of occasions when I've engaged people on social media who have actually changed their position to say, oh my gosh, now I see it. So that's where I would rather do a lot of the book writing, the face-to-face -face dialogues and conversations, and not just try to go to war on social media with people. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I just want to thank you for that because I know for in my life, I have a friend, David Bailey, I know who you would know, who's for years walked with me down this journey. And, and I've always thanked him for just his patience at all, all the dumb questions and all the things that you're like, you didn't, you don't know this, you know, and, and the, the assignments to go read books that have been so helpful. So I'd encourage just people listening. Like if you, if you come into this conversation, you're like, ah, I've heard it all. Can we just move on? Can we just all get along? You know, whatever the simplistic response might be that, no, this actually takes work. It takes digging in. It takes listening and, and listening a lot, especially if you're a white person who doesn't understand some of this history. It takes listening a lot, and you're going to be better for it, and you're going to be sanctified more because you've taken the time to go through this process. D.A., you have this unique background, which I, I just love how God uses our differences to, to just be a part of our story, and, and it's, it's cool how you come at this because your background is Mexican-American, Choctaw Nation various European ethnicities. And, and so you're able to move past this black and white discussion and, and bring, just kind of elevate it. And, and you've done that with this new language, talking about ethnicity and talking about conciliation. But how has that looked for you? I mean, when, when is it that you started to realize that, man, God's given me a pretty unique ethnic background and a perspective that I need to share? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it came later in my life. Um, I'm 39, and I really didn't start grappling with these uh, realities until I was like 34, 35 years old. Um, and even though my ethnicities are what you mentioned, I grew up in a predominantly, you know, African-American community where I was one of the few Latinos in my neighborhood, let alone my school growing up. And so culturally, there was a lot of shared experiences that I had with a lot of my African-American friends uh, growing up. And it wasn't until uh, the Mike Brown, uh, Officer Wilson situation happened within a few days uh, of Mike Brown being killed by Officer Wilson. Uh, we were in St. Louis, my wife and I, and we were part of an event that my, my friend Thizzle put on just to have a conversation of healing and, and, and processing this together as a community. It was there that an older African-American civil rights activist came up to me. And I talk about it in the book. And he basically just communicated. He was like, your age is perfect because you're young, but you're not so young that you haven't lived. And you're a little bit older than your people in your generation. But at the same time, you're younger than my generation. So you have strength and vitality that I don't. And then he said, your ethnicity. Uh, he asked me what it was. And I told him. And he said, you, you're going to be, be able to break out of the black-white binary because you're going to be able to say, hey, it, it's multiple languages, multiple ethnicities. This is a different America than the 1960s. And so the reality of that, yes, in some ways, it's been a, a positive but it, it does come with challenges. And I talk about it in the book, you know, because I can say a lot of the same things that brothers and sisters of African descent have been saying for quite some time. But because my skin color is lighter 
uh, it's a little bit more well-received and I'm not framed as the angry black man. I'm not framed as the angry black woman uh, who is communicating these nuances. But at the same time, you know, it, it does cause tension because people, uh, you know, of African descent say, why is this dude talking about this? How come he gets to, to, to express on behalf of our people? He ain't even black. And then there's also the framing of, you know, well, man, you know, you're always going to sympathize with people of color. You're against, quote unquote, white people. And I'm like, yo, man, I have European ethnicity in my background as well. And so it, it's positive in some senses and it's negative in the other. And that's where I just had to resolve my heart before God and said, you elected me to be what I am. I have no control over that. So I need to embrace it. I need to see how this Christian faith that I am a part of intersects and affirms uh, my ethnic heritages in as much as it does my gender and my pursuit for socioeconomic stewardship. And so I'm trying to learn to become more comfortable in my skin, if you will, and then also affirm the same for others, for people who are dark uh, in their complexion to not be embarrassed by that. People who are lighter, they're from European ethnicity to not apologize for that. I'm like, yo, look bigger. God elected you to be what you are, affirm it. And I think that's where the church has to do a better job of not going into the extremes of ignoring our ethnicity, but neither idolizing our, our ethnicity, but actually affirming our ethnicity, which I think is the heart and intention behind Paul in Galatians 3.28. Mm. Yeah, man. I mean, this feels like kind of the new edge of this conversation, and and you really push into it here in the tension, right, is, is what does it mean to kind of own your ethnic heritage? Is that okay? Is that okay for everybody? Is that okay for people who are white or from European descent to also own their heritage, you see all this, you know, discussions of white supremacy, of nationalism, of divides happening that that even in our media, it's it's very much framed around race. It's very much pitting one race against another race. Um, and so you can see people just kind of back away a little bit and go, I don't I don't know what I can say anymore. Or am I am I supposed to appreciate some of our history? Or am I supposed to throw all the history away because some bad things happened? I mean, how do you how do you help leaders in the church right now? Think about that. What does it mean to to be proud of of where you've come from or your heritage and not idolize it? Like, what what is the way to walk that careful tension? Yeah, I think you know, being good stewards of of the Word of God, but then at the same time, being keen on the times that we live in. Just like the sons of Ishakar, we got to know the time that we're in, and at the same time, you know, if it's leadership of European ethnicity, uh, one of the things that I communicate is that there is a privilege that comes with that. And so the tensions and the spaces that a person of color, uh, we, we can't undo. We can't just walk away from certain nuances of tension. I mean, even the Super Bowl halftime show, you know, there's a tension there with Latinas, but then the over-sexualization, the response from people, uh, un not understanding cultural, but then at the same time, everything is lustful to some. So like, even those spaces, like as, as, as one who is married to a Latina, who has Latina daughters, like, it's like, man, there's this constant tension that we can't walk away from, that we, we have to just live in this space. And then at the same time, uh, there's the recognizing that, you know, I think what we can all do is work to deconstruct the color-coded language that just reinforces the racial caste system of North America is, you know, doing away with the terms white and black and, and stepping into the space of, man, what is your ethnic heritage? Now, I will say one of the extreme encouragements that I've been having since I've sought to work and, and deconstruct and rid myself from the color codified uh, language is that I've seen more people take an embracing affirmation of their ethnicity. A brother who's from Los Angeles is now embracing his Jewishness as a follower of Christ. 
mm-hmm. where he would just say, oh, I'm just white. And I'm like, that's a made up term, man. Like, why are you rocking the term of the world? Like rock the term of the ethnicity that God has given you with the historicity and the culture and the language. Like, like you're a missionary, man. Like this is, this is your passport, bro. Like, like rock that passport in the hood. We call it a hood pass. So I'm like, this is your hood pass, man. And so I think, you know, as a missiologist, I'm constantly looking at those nuances to equip people to say, that's right. I don't have to, uh, you know, be, be a, a subservient apologizer for my ethnicity at the same time. I don't have to follow the ethnocentric heresies that are affirming me. So that's where I think the people of God got to do a better job of affirming what we see in Revelation 7, 9, that, that the people of God, the one united people, the new humanity, the family, where family is made up of every nation, tribe, tongue, and gender, and social class. So we just got it. We got it. That's already positionally true. So let's make it practically real by affirming each other. Yeah, that's good, man. I mean, that's a, that, that'd be a, good long conversation too about just not identifying as white and black anymore you know and and how to have new language to think about that and a different type of identity i love i love that you're presenting that and kind of turning that on its head one of the things you say that i wanted you to just share a little bit more about kind of how you're feeling about this but you you talk about in this book the idea that when you when you're in ferguson even just realizing that the church felt a little bit like it was an absentee parent and that a new, a new generation is just struggling to figure out some of these things. Talk a little bit about that. And also as you speak to the leaders that, that would be listening to this conversation, what does it mean for, for that absentee parent to get back involved, like to, to, to try to take a, a proper role of, of uh, agency in the opportunity they have to, to steward their leadership better? Absolutely. Um, you know, as, as I travel from city to city and specifically and a lot of uh, inner city, urban, impoverished communities, the church vacated the conversation, not, not, not holistically, but in many rhythms of many inner cities in America, the church has abandoned the conversation. Uh, and what we see is the casualties of the culture war of the 80s and 90s, and people got stuck on one or two voting cues. And basically the mission was limited to not loving our neighbor, not expressing empathy and compassion for the community. So when I sat there and talked to those young African-American men in West St. Louis, uh, they, they framed the conversation around the fact that church was never here for me. And I can testify to that. Uh, in God's grace, you know, uh, the Lord saved me at, at a young age in my teenage years, but my mama had me in church, but the church we went to was not in my neighborhood. I lived in my community for 23 years. And not one time did anybody ever come and knock on our door for acts of mercy, acts of benevolence, or even sharing the gospel. Never happened. And I live within a one-mile radius of 45 churches from Protestant, Roman Catholic, and other mainline denominations, and not one time. And so that's where often what I want to express to leadership is, you know, if your church is moving into the city and you have a quote-unquote heart for the city, Please don't neglect the indigenous urbanites that have been there before gentrification rediscovered that community. Make sure that you're reaching out with compassion, because if we are not going to practice ethnic conciliation in, in these church planting and church revitalizing movements, then you know what? We have to stand before God because the mission field is not just across the sea. It's right here across the street. And what we have to recognize is God's glory put on full display through the local church should see the ethnicities and the nations that are engaging this conversation with the gospel. And I think that's what we have to focus on is sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone through as many ways possible as we can through our local churches. So leadership, you're crucial to that. And I would say, look to find pipelines 
for raising up people, men and women in that community of transition or that indigenous urbanite filled community with people that you can raise up into leadership, that they have shared power, they have a voice at the table, that there are other considerations given. You know, it's easy for us to sit back and look at the commercials that are put out or even things that are put out by politicians and say, man, did they not have men and women of color in the in, in, in the, in the conversation to think about some of these insensitivities? Like, was there any, was there no diversity? And I think often in, in local churches, yeah, we have a, we may have diversity in our pews, but not in the presence of the leadership. And I think that's the challenge. And that's even for, uh, you know, historic communities of color that they're they in transition. Gentrification is bringing Latinos to predominantly African-American or, or uh, European descent communities. And I think it's the same burden and same responsibility to reflect the kingdom of God as it looks in your community. And that means shared leadership. That means raising up people, ordaining them, licensing them, installing them, and, and allowing them to have equal voice at the table. Because when the world sees us doing that, we're ahead of the curve. Like they're trying to figure this thing out. And as America gets more brown progressively, man, this is the prime opportunity for the church to say, hey, this is our this is our blueprint. It's called the word of God. This is what the kingdom looks like. And this is what it can look like to produce human flourishing holistically when voices at the table have value and we mobilize together as one unit. Yeah, DA, this is so good and so helpful and practical and functional. And so thank you again for your good work on it. Thanks for not being afraid to push into long-held beliefs and challenging spaces to help us think better about this. And so I'd encourage everybody, get D.A. Horton's book. Go go deeper into this. It's called Intentional Kingdom Ethnicity in a Divided World. It's available now. Check it out. Read it. Read it in groups. Read it with leadership teams. Just, just create space for this conversation. A lot of people would rather avoid and not dig into because of the tension and actually take his leadership and move into that tension and know that you can trust that the outcome of that is going to be great. It's going to be healthy. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to become more sanctified. You're going to become the kind of Christ follower that God's always designed you to be. So thank you again, DA, and we'll look forward to continuing following you and all the great work you're doing. Thanks a lot, bro. Grace and peace. What a great conversation, DA. I'm just so glad we got to do that together. You got to hear it. I hope you will read his book. And these these are the kinds of conversations we want to create. And a podcast is one way to do it, but it doesn't get any better than just sitting around with a few of your friends and talking about this. Maybe taking a few of the notes and suggesting, man, what, what do I call myself? What should I call myself? How is our church doing this? What does our leadership team look like? I think these are the kinds of questions that challenge us and force us to kind of go to the next level of depth on a conversation that, as he said, the world's having is looking for leadership, and will the church be a place that can step up? So I hope we can be that place. Thank you for being a part of this community. Thank you for listening to the Q Podcast. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.